I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Duchenne muscular dystrophy is a rare neuromuscular disease that causes muscle degeneration and premature death. As the condition progresses, heart muscle cells die and are replaced with scar tissue. This leads to heart failure, which is currently the leading cause of death among people with Duchenne. Capricor Therapeutics is developing a therapy that uses cardiosphere-derived cells from healthy human hearts to slow progression of the condition through their anti-inflammatory effects. We spoke to Linda Marban, CEO of Capricor, about Duchenne muscular dystrophy, the damage the condition does to the heart, and how the company's experimental cell therapy modulates the immune system to control chronic inflammation caused by the disease. Linda, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, the conversation. We're going to talk about Duchenne muscular dystrophy, Capricor, and its efforts to develop cell and exosome therapies to treat the condition. Let's start with Duchenne. For listeners not familiar with it, what is it? Uh, So Duchenne muscular dystrophy is a genetic disease. Um, It is X-linked, which means it comes from the mother primarily um, and is expressed uh, most frequently in males. So typically it's diagnosed, uh, for instance, in boys around three years of age. What the genetic mutation does um, in Duchenne, which is the most severe form of the muscular dystrophies, is it prevents the appropriate production of a protein called, appropriately, dystrophin, um, which acts um, as sort of a cushion and a glue uh, to protect cells. So the way that I sometimes describe it colloquially is it's like the bumper of your car. Um, It prevents sort of day-to-day damage. If you ever go to get into a tight parking spot, you don't worry so much if you slowly hit the the car in front of you with your bumper because you know it's going to protect you, no damage. If you took that off, you have a whole different uh, set of headaches and you probably would start damaging the frame of your car pretty soon. So that's what happens in Duchenne muscular dystrophy. The muscle cells without the protection of dystrophin get damaged in day-to-day use and they die much more rapidly than your muscle cells or mine. And as a result of that, they're constantly in a repair mode. Ultimately, the muscle runs out of cells to repair with, and then that muscle group dies um, and is replaced by scar tissue, which we call fibrosis. Once um, the muscle cell becomes fibrotic, um, it no longer can move. And so ultimately, um, the person, in this case, the young man with Duchenne, will lose that muscle group. And that's why you see them getting Worse and worse uh, from large muscle groups like the legs all the way down to their fingers uh, later in life. And ultimately, they'll lack the ability to um, breathe appropriately. Their hearts don't contract appropriately. um, And they typically die uh, somewhere between 20 and 30 years of age. Uh, To to put sort of the frosting on the cake there, it's one of the most um, tragic diseases because parents see their children decline all through their lives. So they never 
um, get to sort of, you know, revel in those moments because they know that uh, whether they're picking a soccer ball today, tomorrow, they may not be able to do that anymore. And so it's very painful, uh, both to the patient as well as to their family. We've seen new therapies emerge for Duchenne. What's the prognosis today for patients and how have these therapies changed the Duchenne landscape? Yeah. So, you know, the prognosis at this point is still, you know, fairly um, draconian in terms of uh, the fact that they typically, as I mentioned, are now dying between 20 and 30 years of age. Now, 10 years ago, it was between, you know, 15 and 20 years of age. And so, um, they've had a tremendous add to their lifespans, primarily by um, the use of steroids, uh, which primarily address the inflammatory consequences of the disease, um, as well as uh, better uh, ventilation technique that allows them to keep breathing uh, normally for a, a much longer time. Most people wouldn't think of Duchenne as an inflammatory disease, but what role does inflammation play in the condition? Yeah. So, you know, there are two aspects uh, to the disease, which is the lack of dystrophin, meaning that you have uh, constant and persistent damage to the muscle. And then you have the inflammation that occurs because of the constant breakdown of muscle products. So most people focus on therapeutic development for Duchenne, thinking about fixing the dystrophin mutation. But until we can go into the germline or into, you know, very, very tiny babies and fix the mutation, um, what you really are going to be looking at is a balance between enough cells that can make dystrophin, maybe with like a gene therapy or, or an exon skipper, and then controlling the inflammation and the inflammatory component of the Duchenne disease um, in order to, you know, help new muscle take root, last a little bit longer and function a little bit better. Before we talk about your lead experimental therapy, I did want to talk a little bit about your platform technology. I think it would be useful to explain a little biology to listeners. What are exosomes and what role do they play? So exosomes are nanometer-sized lipid bilayer vesicles. What that basically means is that they're little tiny fat bubbles, um, but the membrane on the outside is the cell membrane. So it's exactly the same as every cell. Um, in your body. Um, exosomes are made by all um, biologic fluids. So beer has exosomes, milk has exosomes. Um, obviously, there's billions and trillions uh, circulating in our blood right now, um, but they are um, nature's communication device. They are essentially the words of cells. And it's funny because, you know, up until uh, really recently, 10, 15 years ago, they were considered to be the trash cans of cells. So there's um, also these types of membranous vesicles that are released from cells that are like the cells putting out their trash, right? And so it was just assumed that these were just smaller trash cans. But um, ultimately, in the early 2000s, um, a you know, um, group of scientists uh, got together um, and they uh, were able to determine that the exosomes, in fact, were not carrying trash, but carrying messages um, in the forms of nucleic acids, um, as well as proteins. And so exosomes themselves um, are uh, probably one of the most efficient um, drug delivery vehicles that uh, we could conceive of. You know, this is nature's way of, of delivering contents and we're taking advantage of that as well. 
Capricor has developed what it calls its Stealth X technology. This can be used to develop both precision therapeutics and vaccines. How does the platform work? Yeah, so um, we decided that while we understood that the mechanism of action of CAP-1002 are the exosomes, and they certainly would be a, a good opportunity for a product, what we realized is that the cells were doing a fine job of going into the body, releasing the exosomes, and causing those downstream biologic effects that are um, ameliorating the progression of Duchenne muscular dystrophy. But what we also realized sort of in these series of aha moments was that um, we wanted to take advantage of the exosome's ability to deliver contents past the cell membrane. And I, um, you know, they are um, coded essentially with the cell membrane itself. So the body sees them um, as familiar, not foreign, uh, no immune response is raised. And then they fuse to the cell membrane and can deliver contents safely inside. So avoiding detection by the immune system and, you know, destruction by uh, those um, parts of innate immunity that are always uh, circling around in the body. Um, and so what we decided to do is instead of using uh, the exosomes made by CAP-1002, we take a standard cell line. It's a, a 293F cell line. We isolate out the exosomes and you can kind of think of them as um, empty or blank envelopes, right? So we isolate them out. We have developed technology to grow them up in vast numbers. Um, and then what we can do is custom load them or uh, decorate them with something on the outside called a molecular moiety, which tells the exosome what type of cell to go towards. And we've seen some really exciting data with muscle targeting um, using that exact strategy at this point. I take it that's important because that's been one of the big challenges in terms of treating Duchenne is, is to target the, the cells that are, need to be targeted in this condition. That's exactly right. And it's not just in Duchenne, right? This opens up the door to such a vast array of diseases. It's kind of staggering. And I was talking uh, to a colleague um, on Wall Street uh, just the other day who mentioned, you know, that this would be like monoclonal antibodies or, you know, some other type of technology that it first seemed, you know, rarefied and only for the the most just um, draconian of diseases, but in reality is now used uh for almost all types of uh, diseases, especially inflammatory diseases, we see exosomes in the same light. Delivering contents past the cell membrane and into the nucleus to alter gene expression, protein translation, or post-translational modifications has been a dream of uh, scientists and doctors since the idea of a cell in a nucleus uh, was discovered. And you know, the rudimentary way of doing that right now is uh, to use lipid nanoparticles. But we all know um, from getting those vaccines and from, you know, some of the mandates, for instance, from some of the Scandinavian countries that lipid nanoparticles not only um, can bring about some nasty side effects, even in the vaccine, um, it's unlikely that you could use them in any type of a repeat delivery paradigm because the toxicity would ultimately be too much for the liver and the kidneys and, and maybe even the heart. So exosomes sort of deliver the opportunity of a lipid nanoparticle, um, but with um, no toxicity, ability to target directly uh, to the the tissue of interest, whether it be muscle or brain or lung or, or liver. Um, and then it also allows uh, for the um, you know, specific uh, delivery of, of protected cargo. So a really great opportunity. Well, you can engineer exosomes to, to carry different payloads. What's the range of things they can carry? 
Ah. So, you know, um, put your thinking cap on and let's talk about that because it could be a small molecule, like, for instance, a chemotherapeutic agent that, um, you know, ha- is what they would call hydrophobic. So very hard to get, you know, into, you know, the blood and, and to where you need that chemotherapy to go. Put it in an exosome, um, it's protected in there and you can use a much lower dose, get it to the site of injury, probably far fewer side effects. You can put any kind of small molecule in there if you want to get it a specific place um, and then put something to target it on the outside. So it becomes you know, one of those kinds of dreams we have as scientists, which is that you can target your therapy and not have to you know, worry about dosing the whole body if you want to you know, get a medicine to a, an ankle or a knee. Uh, so it's a really uh, great opportunity to to use that targeting technology. Um, you can use nucleic acids, gene therapies, viruses, um, you know, you name it. Uh, we can put it in an exosome and, and it'll get where it's going in a much safer, more usable fashion. So, I mean, it seems like this could, could address a major problem with both gene editing and, and gene therapies. That's what we're thinking. You know, we're working on that as well as others. We're not obviously the only ones doing exosome-based uh, therapeutic development, but we think that we're um, one of the farthest along in terms of manufacturing um, large numbers of exosomes as well as this loading and targeting. So, yeah, there's, um, you know, a tremendous number of, of wonderful opportunities ahead. Your lead experimental therapy is CAP-102, which is an allergenic cell therapy what are these cells? How are they derived? And, and what do you do to prepare them as a therapy? Um, in terms of what CAP-1002 does, so CAP-1002 is a cell-based therapy. Um, it's an off-the-shelf product. It means we, we actually make it. We make it from donor human hearts that are transplant qualified but can't be used for technical reasons. Um, we isolate out a rare population of cells, and then we put them through proprietary methods to grow them up uh, to become our product, which is called CAP-1002. The mechanism of action of CAP-1002, which has been published and discussed in about 200 academic peer-reviewed papers, is that they um, work by controlling inflammation. And the word there, which is most important, is it's immunomodulatory. That means that uh, there's a certain kind of inflammation which helps repair your body normally, and the cells, our cells, help do that, as well as uh, reduce the amount of fibrosis, so scar generation. Now, CAP-1002 is not a stem cell. It does not go in. It doesn't stick around. It doesn't replicate or make new muscle itself. Um, what CAP-1002 does is it goes in and it stimulates a pretty bold um, response by releasing exosomes. Um, exosomes are nature's uh, communication device, and exosomes track to the sites of injuries um, in the body and then stimulate natural repair mechanisms. So basically, um, you know, CAP-1002 is sort of the, the uh, delivery device for the exosomes that allow uh, natural repair to occur. What's the regulatory path forward? Yeah, so we are in a phase three clinical trial now. That's the last stage before applying for a biologics license application or BLA. Um, we are doing um, a primary group from our pivotal trial out of our Los Angeles facility. It was our original clinical plant. Um, and because we have um, had so much um, feedback from the advocacy groups in the community that they want to see CAP-1002 
uh, get uh, approved as quickly as possible. FDA has worked with us to come up with a plan where our initial approval will be out of this Los Angeles facility. Um, and then we will come in um, almost immediately after the final patient is enrolled in what we're now calling cohort A, the Los Angeles group. And we start cohort B and cohort B will be um, from our GMP manufacturing plant in San Diego, which is uh, better able to meet commercial supply um, as well as um, you know, meet full uh, GMP requirements, both in the United States and outside. And so uh, we anticipate um, our first pivotal data to be top-lined uh, by the end of 2024 and then the BLA to follow in 2025. And does this have the potential to treat other conditions that involve damage to the heart? Yeah, so it's not just damage to the heart, it's damage to the skeletal muscle as well. So our therapeutic works both in the heart and in skeletal muscle. And absolutely, uh, we are um, exploring, uh, as we speak, opportunities. You know, we've spent years uh, learning about these cells, developing them, um, figuring out, as I just elucidated, their mechanism of action. Um, We are um, actively interested in treating other diseases of inflammation and fibrosis, which, as you can imagine, there are many. How are you going about prioritizing potential indications to pursue? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think everybody goes through that sort of analysis and develops an algorithm based on an unmet medical need. Um, you know, the the strike zone, so to speak, of the mechanism of action of, in this case, CAP-1002 and uh, the disease of choice and then things like market um you know, other opportunities on the market um, and, you know, competitive landscape as well as, um, you know, how um, willing and uh, able the patient community is to, you know, enroll clinical trials and a variety of other questions like that. And we have a few that we're actively looking at right now um, that are really within our strike zone of neuromuscular rare disease. And, you know, hopefully the audience will stay tuned and, and find out what that is over time. And what's the plan for marketing the therapy? Are you going to build a commercial organization or would you pursue a partnership? Yeah, so we have a partnership and that was really exciting for us. So we wanted to find a partnership or partner that had um, commercial abilities uh, in the United States. And the perfect partner for us was a Japanese company called NS Pharma, which is a subsidiary of Nippon Shinyaku, a pharmaceutical company based in Kyoto. And uh, they took the rights for marketing and distribution. So we take the cells through the regulatory process. Uh, We uh, negotiate reimbursement. We manufacture them. Um, NS buys them from us. They sell them. They have a MetaFairs team in place and all of the sales force uh, for already approved um, exon stipping therapy called Viltepso that they have within their wheelhouse. And so they've got everything set for us. And then we um, sell them the product and take a step back and collect royalties on the backside. So it's a really wonderful opportunity for us and for them, for us, because um, it allows us to take our product all the way through. Um, We know it better than anybody. It would take a while for somebody else to learn it. And it's a win for them because they have all of the tools in place uh, for marketing and distribution. And this gives them another um, products in their pipeline. You recently completed a $23 million registered direct offering. How far will existing cash take you and what's the plan for raising additional capital? 
Yeah, so um, the money that we've just raised will take us through top-line data uh, from the cohort A that I mentioned a little bit ago. And um, obviously, um, that will trigger some milestones for us uh, from our um, you know, potential fundraising opportunities through that, including potentially through our partner NS Pharma. And, um, you know, we have um, good, good, strong balance sheet going into data. That's what we wanted. And uh, we'll evaluate as we go along, of course. Like a lot of companies in the sector, your stock has been depressed. It's near a 52-week low. It continues to be a difficult financing environment. What was the conversation like with investors? You know, I think you're exactly right. Um, it's a difficult uh, time, especially in biotech. You know, the FBI is, um, has significant pullback, um, and they're anticipating more. You know, biotech investments are high risk, and in an economy that is, um, you know, struggling and trying to find its place, as well as some of the global activities, um, biotech is, is a tough space to be raising money in right now. Having said that, with our Strong data from the open label extension studies, our phase two studies, um, the understanding and description of our mechanism of action and our path forward with FDA. We were lucky enough to get our partner, Nippon Shinyaku, to make an equity investment of $10 million, as well as um, Highbridge Capital um, come in. And, and that represents a really strong institutional investor to, to help uh, support us all the way through data. So. Uh, we feel really good about the deal that we did. Of course, everybody takes a little bit of a haircut in a fundraise these days, but the most important thing is a strong balance sheet and the ability to deploy and meet our goals, and that's what we're going to do. Linda Marban, CEO of Capricorn Therapeutics. Linda, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.